You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Hey, if that song did not feel solemn enough for you, it's because it's Easter. This is not a day for solemnity. Is that a word? No? I don't know. Sol- is it? Someone asked Siri. I need to know. Tyler says no. Lacey, you're a teacher. Really? I thought that was a word. Okay. Solemnity, which you all know what it means, even if it's not a real word, was two days ago when Jesus died. Maybe even yesterday while Jesus was still in the grave. Today is a celebration, and because of that, you're not going to hear me preach anything new. It's the thing that I preach all the dang time, except now I'm just going to amp it up because it's Easter and I get to say it louder, right? Resurrection. Resurrection. Nobody told me about the ending of the Bible for most of my life. I was told about the cross. Nobody told me about resurrection. And when people talked about resurrection... They talked about resurrection as though it was a doctor taking them paddle thingies. Sarah. Resuscitation. Yeah. They talked about resurrection like it was resuscitation. Like Jesus was resuscitated back from the dead. Which is a cool miracle, except, you know, in 2021, that happens every single day. People did not tell me that resurrection was about Jesus putting on a new body. People did not tell me that Paul talked about this new body as though it was a spiritual, physical hybrid of a body, that it was Holy Spirit-led, that it was immortal, that it could not die, that it could not see corruption. Nobody told me that the reason Jesus did all the strangest things he ever did after the resurrection was probably because he had this body on. I mean, come on, he lives like a spiritual being. What do spiritual beings do throughout the Bible? Angels? They appear, they disappear, they come from heaven, they go to earth, and they can seemingly go at will. What does Jesus do after the resurrection? The same thing. He's outside of a house one moment, he's inside of a house the next. He breaks bread in front of some disciples and then vanishes out of sight. This body seems probably new enough that people recognize him and at the same time don't recognize him. The disciples that walk with him forever are like, No idea. On the road to Emmaus, they have no idea this is Jesus. Maybe he was somehow a shapeshifter. I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe his body was just new and they didn't recognize it. This is a weird verse about Peter. When Peter sees Jesus, it says something like he didn't have to ask if it was Jesus. He just knew it was him. Who says that? I didn't have to ask if it was Tyler. I just knew it was him. No, I know it's Tyler because why would I even bother to ask? something different there's something strange there's something unique about new jesus and yeah jesus has always walked in the power of the holy spirit and done things that the prophets of old have done and then a few things beyond that but after the resurrection jesus is doing things that human bodies are not supposed to do even with the power of the holy spirit half the time when he ascends into heaven human bodies don't go to heaven they die they can't make it there and the experiences where humans see heaven throughout the bible is like almost an out-of-body visionary experience but new jesus in resurrected skin lives in a completely different way 
And he tells us that the resurrection is real and that it's coming. It was a hot debated topic in Jesus' time. The Sadducees were all like, yeah, we don't think there's anything to this resurrection. We think when you die, you die. We're just kind of like scientific about it. You die, it's over. No big deal. And then the Pharisees are like, no, no, no. Resurrection's a big deal. In fact, the Pharisees fought about resurrection so much against the Sadducees that there's a fun scene in Acts where Paul, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're all against Paul. And Paul finds a way to put them against each other instead of against him, right? He's like, well, I'm just talking about Jesus who was resurrected. And the Pharisees who killed Jesus are suddenly like, wait, Jesus could be like helpful to our cause. If he really was resurrected, then he's proof of this doctrine of resurrection that we think the Bible's talking about. And the Sadducees are like, not this again, that's not real. And then it, the Bible says that they had to pull Paul out of the room because they were afraid they would tear him to pieces. The religious leaders of Jesus's time got in a WWE fighting match with each other over the idea of is resurrection real or is it not? And Jesus walks into the scene. He says, oh, it's real. We're not making this up. This isn't just like a, a, a just like made out of thin air from the Old Testament. Jesus comes and says, no. That valley of dry bones that was prophesied, that one day skin would come back on it, that people would come to life, that's real. That's going to happen. And Revelation goes so far to talk about this new resurrected earth, that, that the planet will be remade, renewed. That when Jesus comes back, he hits the reset button. In Eden, we screwed up. In the resurrection, God flicks the switch and things are not only restored, but made even better. To make C.S. Lewis say something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, we will recognize the earth, our, our playfellow, our mother, but at the same time, it'll be a little different. And Jesus calls attention to the difference of the resurrection. Some Sadducees come up to him, they're playing their trump card. This one always gets them. This one always proves the resurrection isn't the thing. Hey, Jesus, let's uh, say that there's this lady and she's married to this guy and the guy dies and then she follows the law and gets married to her brother. We already got the soap opera set up, right? This isn't going to go well. And then he dies and so she follows the law and gets married to another brother. And this happens like seven times. So Jesus, what you're saying is resurrection life is real and life is going to come back and the earth is going to be restored and there's going to be a new heaven and we're going to put on these new bodies if all that's going to happen this lady's going to be married to seven different brothers <laughs> jesus that sounds laughable and jesus is kind of like you guys are idiots more or less i'm paraphrasing it's the message version maybe i don't know it's like no guys you don't understand the power of god and you don't understand your scriptures it's like, you think that life as we know it right now is just going to carry into the next world. But I'm telling you things like marriage, that won't even be in the resurrected world. It doesn't just carry over. It will be different. Sure, we'll recognize some of it. But at the same time, it will be made so right and so precious and so good that it will feel different at the same time. And that, that's actually a more powerful statement. If you're like me, that, that kind of message freaks you out. Because on one hand, you're like, no marriage, no sex. Like, sex often seems like one of the greatest human pleasures. And marriage, if you have a good marriage, like, I want to know my wife in heaven. <laughs> right? But Jesus didn't say you won't know your spouse in heaven. Paul actually talks about resurrection life as though you're meeting up with your old friends. 
You're going to the saints. You're going to go see those that you haven't seen in a while. So we do know each other in heaven. But things like marriage and things like sex, those things are pointing, they're signposts. If those don't exist in the resurrection, then that means that there is greater pleasure and greater intimacy, not in a perverted kind of way, but greater pleasure and greater intimacy ahead of us. There's signposts pointing to something greater. That the marriage of the church with Jesus and the intimacy that we find there will be so great, nothing can compare to it. There is beauty ahead of us. And it should change your entire life with how you live now. They're always talking about, you know, don't store up treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead get your treasures in heaven, which sounds cheesy to us. Like We're like, oh man, I, I don't want to store up something invisible that I don't, I'm not even sure if that's a metaphor. Does that exist? Their point is like right now in this life, on this planet, in this moment, you, you don't need all of that right now because you're going to get it back tenfold later. You will be given the earth, not in its broken form right now, but something so much more glorious. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Christians inherit the earth. It doesn't blow up. <laughs> it doesn't just vanish. And if it does, it's only so God can like renew it and remake it. See, if we get this later, then what we have in it right now in this life does not matter. The treasures that we can have right now do not amount to the treasures that we get later. And Paul believed in that hardcore to the point that he's like, look, guys, if resurrection isn't real, this all, our entire faith is futile. It falls apart into pieces. It doesn't work out. If resurrection is not real, then we should go just eat, drink, and be merry because everyone should pity us that we died for this cause, that we lived for this cause. Instead of focusing on the pleasures of this life, we put it off till later. If resurrection isn't real, then all of this is pointless. You know, in 2021, when we're very scientific-minded, we often put resurrection aside and say, that sounds kind of fantasy. Sounds kind of weird. I don't know if I want to go that route. Sounds like mythology. But Paul believed in this so much that he said, if you don't believe in this thing, your entire faith crumbles to the ground and is pointless. There is more ahead of us. We go on to a glory of sorts. When Jesus meets in a transfiguration on the mountaintop, when Jesus meets with, with uh, Elijah and Moses, they show up in their own kind of glory. And then the Bible tells us that one day we will go on to share Jesus' throne with him. And the Bible tells us that one day we will judge angels. You know, these days angels judge us. You look throughout the Bible, you see strange stories where God's like, all right, there needs to be judgment on this person over here. What should I do, angels? And the angels speak into the conversation and say, what if you did this? Paul looks at those stories and he's like, that's us in the future. We will go on to the point that God will look at us and say, all right, guys, we've got to deal with this thing. What should we do? And humanity will be the one to answer. And humanity will put on these shiny white clothes. Humanity's face will be shining. Those kind of descriptions are the kind of descriptions that you use of spiritual beings in the Bible. And God tells us that we'll be like that. 
In the Orthodox Church, this is considered, it's uh, the term, Alec, where you, starts with a D. Oh no, it left me. Uh, right, so if you were listening, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to go on to be a spiritual being of sorts. What, theosis? Yeah, so theosis, there's another term as well. But it's, was it? Deification, thank you, yes. So deification freaks us out because that's not usually an ev evangelical word, but it's, it's an orthodox word. It's been in the church forever. The idea is more or less like the old false little G gods of old will be judged and condemned and turned over to death and human beings will replace them as the new little g gods of sorts not that we become god or anything like that we we don't understand the word god the way that the bible understood it but we become resurrected spiritual powerful beings that god shares his authority with and that is what spiritual beings throughout the bible do in other words the sons of god which is another term used for spiritual beings throughout the bible the old sons of god are removed and you, the new sons and daughters of God, are the replacement plan. That's why you judge angels. That's why you have authority. That's why in the new heavens and the new earth, you take on this certain kind of authority that, that matches what was there before. Yeah, Zane. So the old angels, Revelation pictures them as thrown into this lake of fire. The idea at the very end of the Bible is God has done everything in his power to save anyone who would actually receive him and come to him and follow him and worship him. And anyone who wasn't willing to go that distance, who refused to come to God and reject him, then that belongs with the old world and the old age, and that needs to end. In order for the world to be perfect, Everything that is not perfect and not following God can no longer go on. So the lake of fire is basically this ultimate like ending to anything that's wrong. Psalm 82 says, I said you are gods, all of you, you spiritual beings, uh, but you will now die like men. So the lake of fire is efficient in removing even the immortality of anything that can't continue. But then we continue on because we are the new children of God. The replacement plan, the plan to, to follow God in love and restore the earth in love and see the new heavens and the new earth come to be. It's the new Eden. It's the reset switch. Things are put right. Things are made perfect. And you may not feel perfect right now. I'm not. None of us are. But the resurrection is already here. In theology, we call it the already but not yet. The idea is heaven is already here in Jackson, but not yet, right? We're still bringing it. And one day it will come in fullness. Resurrection is already here, but not yet. One day it will come in fullness. But it's already in you. This is why Paul says, remove your old man, remove your old flesh, remove your old skin, and let the spiritual body, this resurrected body that's underneath, shine through for everyone to see. The idea is not like we're rejecting science or rejecting flesh or rejecting humanity. That's just what we call Gnosticism. The idea is that God is already redeeming the new body underneath, and that is what we are called to live by because that is led by the Holy Spirit. 
This is the beautiful picture that you're called to. And a lot of Christians don't know their authority because they don't know their identity because they don't know the end of the Bible. But Easter is the biggest statement towards it. And it's a beautiful statement. It's a statement that flips the world upside down, starting with the moment it's announced. These 12 disciples who have been following Jesus, you think they'd be the first ones to figure out, but instead it's the women. In every single gospel, the women are the ones who find out that Jesus has been resurrected. And it's because of the women who did the preaching that eventually the men who are scared and hiding behind locked doors come to find out as well. That wasn't cultural at the time. Jesus flipped the tables from the very beginning. The new world is starting and we are on our way there each and every day as we look to bring heaven to earth and as we look to live by the resurrection instead of the sinful flesh that we've had before. By the new Adam of Jesus than the old Adam. And so that is our calling and that is resurrection and I am excited more and more for it every day. The more that I keep it on my mind, the less all the difficulties of this world, be it COVID and everything else that's happened, the less that those bog me down because I know that there is better stuff coming. And at the same time, I am called in the midst of that darker stuff to speak out and bring the better stuff to light right now. It's something that affects us in the end, but it's something that affects us right now as well. So with that, uh, we're actually going to get ready to do some baptisms. And baptisms are a sign of, of resurrection. It's about the old world in us dying, the old flesh in us dying, about our sins being washed away. And then we come back to life out of the water just as Jesus came out of the grave. And we put on the new flesh and the new life. And we live by the Holy Spirit. And we live towards the resurrection. And we live towards bringing heaven to earth. We live towards all these places that we're headed. And so we're going to do that now. Uh, Sarah and Zane are our baptizes. Baptizes. Our solemnity. And uh, they're going to uh, come forward as we get ready for this. And as I'm reading all this stuff, if there happens to be anyone else who isn't baptized, and as you hear kind of us go through a service, you're thinking you'd like that too. Um, I'll give a moment to see if anybody's like, yes, I, I would like that as well. Uh, but for starters, uh, we're going to start. With the reading and, uh, the way that we're going to do this today, since we don't have a lake, I know Mark suggested we fill the potholes with water. Uh, <laughs> didn't seem like a good idea. And then his son suggested that we fill Gatorade coolers and but again we didn't talk about that ahead of time so they're going to kneel down and we're going to pour water over their head for this particular baptism dear friends in Christ our faith declares that by the sin of Adam the offspring of Adam are corrupted in their very nature so that from birth they are inclined to sin and that new life and a right relationship with God are possible only through the redemptive acts of Jesus Believing these declarations to be true and in obedience to the command of Christ, Sarah and Zane Glover has come, have come to make public confession that their sins have been washed away and by means of baptism with water to give sign of that inward washing and new life in Christ that are now theirs by faith. 
We therefore implore you to pray that though this means through this means of grace, they may be further moved to keep covenant with God. And so may they ever experience the constant washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose covenant is firm and whose promises are always to be trusted, we call upon you for Sarah and Zane that they, coming to their baptism, may by this act give clear witness that they have received your inner washing through faith in the cleansing blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. May they ever rejoice in the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of your spirit, the fellowship of the church, and the assurance of resurrection to glory in the world to come. Christ Jesus said, amen, excuse me. Christ Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You who present yourself for water baptism have heard this congregation's prayers that God will continue his loving favor toward you and bring you to his eternal kingdom. And God, who keeps covenant, has promised by his only Son, who offered himself up for our redemption, to grant you these gracious favors. You must now promise, in the presence of this congregation, to keep covenant with him, renouncing the life of sin, believing his holy word, and obediently keeping his commandments. Would you stand as I read the Apostles' Creed? And if you know it, you can say it along with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. Sarah's going to share uh, her quick testimony with us before uh, we continue to the questions. seems so much taller than me. Thank you. Well, throughout my life, I have rejected many forms of religion. I watched as many attended churches for various faiths, claiming to praise God, and then laugh in the face of the impoverished the moment services were over. The hypocrisy caused me to turn from God. I didn't want to be a part of something so cruel. From there, I experienced a great deal of negativity at the hand of others that made me question where God really was. However, as I stand before you, prepared to accept our Lord and Savior, I have found a group of people who changed my mind about religion. I stumbled across 1208 through social media in a time where I was lost emotionally and spiritually. At this time, I was feeling compelled to find belonging and to find a home. I followed along for a bit and found 1208 to be different than other places of worship. I discovered a group of people who not only worshiped on Sundays, but lived through positivity while welcoming all. Witnessing the strength of 1208 drew me to attend, bringing my family along as well. Here I stand before my 1208 family, over a year later, closer to God, prepared to turn my life over to the Holy Spirit. I never thought I would be baptized, but since I have rediscovered my relationship with God, 
I have found light in the darkest of places, seen love in the coldest of hearts, and discovered a new means of internal peace. I hope that I can continue to grow my relationship with God and that today is the first step of many in doing so. thank everybody for listening and I want to thank my mom for supporting me and I hope that everybody can support me also. Thank you. All right. I'm going to ask them some questions and as I ask these questions, Remember that these are the same questions if you've been baptized that you yourself have asked. So in this moment, we're kind of reliving our own commitments. This is why I like going to weddings, because when I hear them ask the questions between the couples, I'm reaffirming in that moment, yes, this is what I've committed to my wife. In this moment, this is like a, yes, this is what I've committed to Jesus. So um, I'll ask them, and then uh, you guys can respond yes, of course, if that is your answer. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you have the assurance that your sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ? Do you renounce Satan and his works? Do you renounce the ungodliness of this world and all sinful desires? Will you live in obedience to Christ? Will you actively participate in the life and ministry of his church? Do you accept the Old and New Testament as the authority for your life? Will you, by this act of baptism, testify to the world that you are a Christian? All right. Is there anybody else who, upon hearing that, feels really moved that you also would like to be baptized? If you are, come up while we're doing this. Um, Also, if any of the family did want to join during this time, you're welcome to. Uh, Otherwise, you can stay where you're at. As a reminder, when we do this, we're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's two baptisms pictured in the Bible. One is one of water, which is the baptism of repentance, and one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the receiving of power from God to continue to do his ministry. The resurrected body does not operate alone, and we do not bring the kingdom of heaven to earth by our own power and merit, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this moment, we baptize in both ways, in the name of the power, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we will be pouring out both repentance and the Holy Spirit upon you.
Tyler was coming to get baptized and he's a he's our nerd church pastor so I got nervous for a second <laughs> just kidding just kidding <clears throat> we have money in the budget for baptism accidents Hey, let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you for how much you pour out for us. Throughout this week, I think of my daughter, Jericho, who has uh, told the story about the cross, just how hard it hit her. And God, I think of myself, I've become so calloused. I've heard the story of the cross over and over and over again to the point that nails and whips and thorns they don't even make me pause but Jericho hearing these stories the first time found herself bawling for two nights just saying I didn't want to hear that I didn't want to hear that unable to contain herself unable to find the words to express how she felt about the torture of our Savior. And yet you took that upon yourself because you love us so much. And we talked about it in, in the light of Frozen. <laughs> How Queen Elsa is about to die, but Anna jumps in the way and she dies instead. She freezes over. She stops the bad guy. That sin was coming for us, death was coming for us, but Jesus jumped in the way and he died instead. But just like Anna came back to life, so Jesus came back to life too. Most childish metaphor I've ever prayed about, but in that moment, we see glimpses in all of these stories. And Becky was telling me about all the other media where he's seen the same thing, where somebody jumps in the way to protect someone else. God, when we look at the cross, we grow towards that feeling of, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. But at the same time, it is good news that Jesus, you are so willing to save us, so willing to love us, even your enemies, that you would die on a cross for the very people that murder you. Someone would stick a gun to your head and you would say, if this is what you need to do, I would do this so that you would be saved. And because of that, not only were your friends saved and freed from their sin, but your enemies were saved and freed from their sin. Pharisees throughout the Bible eventually get saved in the book of Acts. They're the ones who, who killed Jesus. Paul persecuted the church. He insulted the church. He hated the church. And you looked at him and said, I can use this guy. And you saved him. Someone who was your enemy, who was torturing your bride. You love us that much. And then you descended into the grave. 
You walked up to Satan, you saw the keys of death around his neck, and you said, yoink. And then you went and did something no human being has ever done in the underworld. You just walked right out. On your own volition, by your own authority, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you put on a new body, you walked into resurrection life, you looked at your disciples and said, this is what you have ahead of you and so much more. And then you ascended into heaven where you wait for the day when you come back. And when you come back, you're coming with angels and you're coming with all the Christians who have died before us. And if there are any Christians left on this earth when you're coming back, the Bible tells us that we'll just suddenly float up into the sky to meet him like a, like a greeting party. Hey, Jesus, welcome back. And we'll all come down together and we'll make the earth what it is meant to be as God brings his presence fully into this planet. And that is the resurrection life that we are excited for. And that is what we've witnessed in these baptisms today. People putting off the old flesh and putting on the new. Sin being washed away in the death of Christ and the blood of Jesus. And then becoming the new creation that you've called them to be. So we are excited for where you call us to. We are excited not to live just in the beginning of the Bible, not just in the middle of the Bible, but in the end of it as well. We give ourselves to you. We thank you for Easter, the most glorious, beautiful, wonderful news that has ever been proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed if you talk with people outside of your crew. Uh, please use a mask, especially with COVID cases being higher in Jackson. Otherwise, we will catch you next week, probably outside unless it's raining or if it snows or whatever, you know. Okay, thanks.